we really do put everything into to everything we do. We put a hundred percent in, you know, to the point where I can vividly remember, I won't name it, but there was one guy who every year he would cry every single time. <laughs> what is up everybody? Do you ever watch a really fast swimmer and think, wow, how do they do that? In this episode, we get to talk to one of them, Coleman Stewart. He's one of the best underwater kickers in the world, proven as an NCAA champion in the 100 backstroke, and from recently stacking up backstroke wins this past season in the International Swim League. It's no wonder Jason Lezak texted him the night the NCAA championships got canceled due to COVID, recruiting him to the Cali Condors. He's a stud in the short course pool, and of course became a huge asset for the eventual ISL champions. The Olympics, however, are long course, so we discussed his strategy for getting on the team, but not before nerding out on what makes Coleman so lightning fast underwater, and also hearing what's in the special sauce that brought his college team, NC State, back to national prominence. He's such a down-to-earth guy, it felt like we were really talking to the person, not the swimmer. Super fun conversation, we hope you enjoy it. Here he is, Coleman Stewart. Welcome back to the Social Kick Podcast. I'm Brian Lundquist. We got a full crew, Dr. John Mullen, Luke Paddington, and from the East Coast, Coleman Stewart. What's up, Coleman? Hello, how are you guys? Yeah, we're doing pretty good. We're all right, but we're in California, so we're not dealing with 30s and rainy weather or even ice like it seems like the rest of the country. So, I mean, you know, sorry. <laughs> yeah, not something to be sorry about. You're just in a better place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I'd say you're in a much better place athletically than we are. So <laughs> we'll just put that out there. What, uh, what's going on, man? What are you up to? Uh, nothing much, you know, just training going to my last semester of school, got a few more, few more classes. And then other than that, not, not really too much going on in my life. <laughs> so, uh, how, how much do you have left of school then? Last semester, this is I got seven more credits. Okay, yeah. Is now is that like um, is that like uh, you know, senior year of high school too, where you're just cruising in, or do you have some doozy classes that you're dealing with that actually are do take a lot of brain space? Um, it's pretty much just senior senior year of high school. <laughs> I'm just I got uh one class for my coaching minor, um, one class for my major, and then I'm taking golf. So that's pretty cool in the second half of the semester. Maybe I'll actually learn how to hit a golf ball consistently. And then, yeah, I'm coaching on the side for a uh, an internship. So not too stressful this semester. You're taking yeah. golf? You can study golf and get a credit for it? Yeah, I actually – so for my coaching minor, a few summers ago I took a coaching golf class, and then you can take a credit for, like, just, like, learning how to play golf, and that counts as our phys ed class. Can swimmers play golf, gentlemen? I don't think we have the behind eye coordination. I can't hit the ball. I literally can't hit it. You know, I'm not kidding. I actually, so my last semester living in Auburn, I was on a nine hole golf course. And every night I would grab a, uh, a driver and a wedge and a putter and I would just in a beer. And then I would, I would go to the, I would go to the tee box and uh, I would just play the hole a couple times, grab a few balls, play a couple balls at a time. Nobody cared. I honestly, truthfully, I feel like um, I I used to like playing golf because I felt like it it helped my connectivity, um, especially with my hips to my hands. And uh, I feel like that's a really important aspect of stroke mechanics, particularly in freestyle. And so uh, I liked it for that aspect. And I've heard some triathletes that are trying to learn how to swim that are not uh, like great swimmers who also find that that connection point through the game of golf. So I'm you know, the downside of it is when you make impact, then I would get some like niggles in my shoulders or somewhere problematic that I'd have to go see the chiropractor or get a massage. And it's just like, nah. I said, really, I said massage, like I'm a Britisher. So that's what you get for having a, I'm proud of you. I had, I'm proud an of you I had an Australian coach who said massage. So that's the way I always think about it. <laughs> no, oh anyway. <laughs> wait so coleman what's your what's your handicap and now and what are you expecting because you got to set some goals for when you go through this golf class i don't have a handicap I, I i've never like i don't play consistently enough to get one um and you know i'm I, right now i'm just trying to break 100 i don't like i said i don't play enough i'm making excuses now you know every, every golfer has to but 
yeah, I, I need, I just need to play more and, you know, hopefully break a hundred at some point. My dad still beats me. So that's the, uh, that's the goal is to beat him on the golf course, even though he's today's his birthday. He's 59 years old and he still beats his 23 year old, 22 year old, uh, you know, athletic son. So that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. That just, that just gets to you so much too. And there's like some activities that you just can't win. Dad's going to win. Yeah. <laughs> you got to challenge him to speed golf. So one of the former guys I worked with, Alan Phillips, shout out. It's a, a race where you have a small bag, you have like two or three clubs, and it's who can finish all the holes and you run and hit and run and hit and get the ball and go from hole to hole. I think you can take him on that one. <laughs> I That one I might be able to beat him at, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh man. Well, Hey, we want to, um, you know, there's, there's so many things to, to talk about with you. I, I think actually there's, there's some foundational things I think I'd love to, to learn about you too. Like, um, you know, the, the background that you came from, you know, learning that you are from the Eastern seaboard in Baltimore and, um, you know, grew up kind of in the close home of guys like Phelps and, you know, Kitty Hoff and, um, and there's so much, such a rich tradition there, you know, obviously in the, in in you know deep in deep into DC Trident territory, so I'm sure you know, <laughs> I'm sure it was a raucous thing. You know, I'm sure the fan base was really disappointed that you signed with Cali. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, to give us a sense of what what was what, what do you remember most about uh, you know growing up swimming, your introduction of the sport, and kind of your high school environment. Yeah, so I started swimming. Um, I'm from York, Pennsylvania. Started swimming for the York Y. Um, my dad was my coach for a little bit. He was one of the coaches. Um, he was a volunteer. Coached all four of or all four of us, three older siblings. Um, so you know, it was pretty competitive growing up. <clears throat> we were all swimmers. We all wanted to beat each other. Um, me being the youngest, you know, I really had something to prove to try to beat him. Uh, and then. Yeah. At, at, at one point it just, I decided that I no longer wanted my dad to be my coach. Um, cause you know, I was in, I was in that phase of, I don't need my, you know, it was just immature of me. Absolutely. And, um, that caused that, uh, created a lot of tension, especially on the car rides home, <laughs> but you know, eventually I got over it. Um, I, I wanted to quit when I was like 12 or 13. Um, thought I was going to be a soccer star, even though I was horrible at it, <laughs> but my dad wouldn't let me quit. Um, obviously now I'm super grateful for that, but yeah, that was kind of, you know, growing up in, in swimming. Um, my grandparents had a pool. Did, did he make you pay for it? Was it, was that part of the deal that you, he didn't, you didn't have to pay for swimming and then suddenly your dad had to start paying for swimming. Is that why he was pissed? Uh, no, I, uh, no, no, Okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, my grandparents had a pool, uh, and oh, the week before my first swim, like official swim practice, I was still wearing a floaty in the, in the pool, in the deep end. So I, I think that's kind of funny. I was still like not confident with my swimming a week before my first swim practice, but yeah. And then. Uh, you mentioned Baltimore when I was 16, I made the switch to North Baltimore and, and spent a year training in the group right below Phelps and Bowman. And that was, that was really, really cool, really eye-opening. And yeah, that was, like you said, just a really cool experience to be able to be around all those guys with a, in a, in a place with all that history. Why did you make that change? Um, there was a little bit of a, um, my family was kind of forced out of York, the York Y, um, you know, they, I mean, club teams always have drama. Uh, we were unfortunately not really able to stay there anymore. Um, I had kind of been wanting to switch to North Baltimore for a few years prior, but with my family, we weren't just able, we weren't able to make it work. But when we were given, when we weren't given a choice, we were obviously able to make it work. And it was, uh, it was really, really good. I really credit uh, Eric Posgay was my coach. He's at Wisconsin now. I really credit him to getting me even close to NC State. I don't think I would be at a Power Five Division One school if it wasn't for Eric. So 
really, really thankful that it kind of all worked out in the end. <clears throat> we're we're going to get into, we're going to get underwaters a little bit later, but did, did you do any of that in high school or was that, did that come later? Uh, <laughs> I remember, I, I never really remember like what made the switch. I think it was a hundred fly. I hated butterfly growing up and a hundred short course butterfly. I think I remember looking at the pool and just being like, if I can kick to 15, why don't I just do it? It's less swimming butterfly. So <laughs> I think that's kind of like, and I, I think I dropped time in the hundred fly. And then I was like, Oh, okay. That, that might work. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to learn a little bit more about, like you said, your your dad was your coach for a little while. Obviously, now you've had time to reflect on all that and all that relationship um, as a parent and a coach. Um, I get a lot of questions from parents that are pretty involved, maybe not coaching, but probably thinking they're the coach or better than the coach. Um, looking back on it now, do you think that was helpful for you? Uh, I think it it was helpful in the long run. Um you know, I think if you're if you're able to be coached by a parent, you can kind of be coached by anyone because um, you can't really get away from them once you step off the pool deck. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it helps. Like I said, now uh, back then it it didn't help me. I wasn't like I said I wasn't mature enough to get that. But um, but if you're able to kind of you know take a step back as a swimmer and really understand that what they they are trying to do what's best for you um but typically i don't know i <laughs> i wouldn't recommend it but yeah again definitely and, and your dad i mean he swam in college it wasn't just like oh yeah he watched some fishes and he's like oh yeah i can do this better i play wrestle <laughs> and watch some fish i'm good to coach coleman so he had had a background obviously so mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear that perspective thank you but i have i have a 10 year old and a seven year old and i'm deliberately making an effort not to even be on deck like i'm 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 just trying to let them but i am watching their coaching and see what the environment they're in and making sure they focus on the right things i think they should be out of that age so i am coaching in background but it's very difficult to do so i hear you coleman yeah <laughs> yeah well I, i'm i'm curious about this did you because luke's kids uh have taken to the water <laughs> extremely well for for young people it's so clear that that either have something really natural or Luke is, you know, uh, some sort of, um, you know, <laughs> amazing instructor or like there's, there's something about the, like seeing people in the water and having that um, mental program uh, put into your brain so that when you actually go to do it, that you've seen it done in a pretty technically good way for so many years that you can do it. Um, I mean, I'm just curious about like, if, did you, have you, had you seen your dad swim? Uh, and did that, do you think that that had any, like, do you, do you remember, did you take to the water really, really well? Um, so both of my parents, before they had kids, they were both triathletes for a while. My mom was actually like, you know, professional and was making money from it. Um, mm -hmm. but my dad stopped once we had kids, my mom kept going, uh, so I grew up watching her swim um, and like doing open water and, you know, biking, running, obviously. Um, so I, I, I never watched my dad swim, but I did watch my mom. And I, I, I don't really think I took to the water immediately. Um, like I said, with the grandparents pool, I was wearing a bubble right before I started swimming. And the first couple of years of swim practice, my mom had to... Um, bribe me to stay in the water for the whole practice. I think it was if I stayed in the water for the whole practice for three times in a week, I would get a towel on Friday and <laughs> I did not get very many towels. So I mean, they let you shiver on deck and it froze you. No. <laughs> it would, you don't tie off. <laughs> you got to air dry. Get paper towels and just dab dry myself. <laughs> Two paper towels, that's all you got. You just did 200. <laughs> no, but, but coming up on the show, I think our next guest, uh, Gustavo Borges and his son, Luis Gus Borges. And we're going to be talking about this whole father, son, um, and the pressures that, that you have with, with parents who swam um, and, and how you mitigate that. So I think there's a really nice segue to that as well. But it, and, and then with your, I know you, you said three siblings swam, your sister swam Princeton, brother 
Dartmouth. I don't know where you, the third swimming swam at, but that's quite you know Division One swimming. Your dad was Bucknell. That did you feel that pressure? And 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 was it like yeah, that's motivation. I want to kick their butt, and, and that's why you are who you are now. Uh, absolutely. I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my brother was was really good. Um, I think he had a YMCA national age group record. Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah, when he was when he was younger, I think it was in hundred IM. Um, wow. So he was really really good. I he I'm only a year younger than him, so I was always like kind of in his shadow uh, in age group swimming. Um, and then he and my sister, my other sister, uh, stopped swimming around middle school and she started running cross country and track in high school. Um, but my other two, like I said, my brother and other sister, um, started focusing a little bit more on kind of like the studying of like, and swimming or studying in school, stuff like that. They wanted to go to Ivy leagues. And so I kind of saw that as my opportunity to really go into athletics, um, and swimming, try to get, get the better of them at, at, in that my parents were always very adamant about, you don't need to be great at everything. Just like try to pick one thing and be really, really good at it. So that's kind of what we focused on. I was going to ask you, so, so my, I, I missed the Atlanta games and my brother made the Sydney games and he went, and I always wondered what was the difference? Um, wh why, how come you got so far ahead in the sport? You think what, what made, what makes you such a damn good swimmer? Like, what do you think? I mean, your, your siblings are Division One. I mean, they're the top swimmers in the world. But you now are a professional swimmer. What do you think was that, that difference? Was it that you just really took that advice and you focused really well on a couple of strong things? You had good habits? I don't know. Uh, I think it was a little bit of me being the youngest and I wanted to beat them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Always being in their shadow. Like, we, went, we all, like went to the same high school. I was always like, Oh, another Stewart kid. And they were, like I said, super smart. So I wanted to get the better of them, better, get the better of them in something. So I think it was just kind of that in the back of my head, really just trying to, to be better than them. Yeah. Um, and I do think that I have been extremely blessed with good swimming genes. <laughs> I think my parents were, were pretty, pretty nice with getting me that. <laughs> Definitely. Um, obviously, there's so many factors involved with success, but obviously being internally motivated is a is a huge one. And going to NC State, you certainly had a lot of other competition and people to race there. So you mentioned, like you said, North Baltimore setting you up to be recruited by a Power Five. How did you go about being recruited and choosing NC State? Um, so I had all of five trips lined up. Um, I think it was two Big Ten schools, two ACC schools, and a Pac-12 school. Um, I really thought I wanted to go to a Big Ten school because growing up in Pennsylvania, you know, I had Ohio State, uh, Penn State, Michigan. Like, I, I just really liked the Big Ten. But I took my trips there, and I just didn't like – I didn't really fit in, uh, didn't really vibe with the team as much to either of those schools. And then NC State was my third trip, and – I remember Gary Taylor picked me up in his Dodge Caliber or something like that. And he had the AC, he just so happened to have the ACC trophy in the trunk of his car. <laughs> and he was like, oh, oh yeah, look at this. I just, we were, just picked it up from the photo shoot, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hmm, yeah, I'm sure that wasn't planned at all. But um, he picked me up from the airport and, took me to Chick-fil-A and he was just kind of explaining, <laughs> explaining everything like the team mentality. And I really like, that's kind of when I decided like, I really like this place. And then once I met the team, Braden, um, it was just really a family atmosphere that I felt was going to set me up for success. And, you know, I think, yes. I think it did a pretty, pretty good job with yeah. that. Yeah. I had a similar story at Auburn. Yeah. <laughs> uh being recruited being at the time you know there's um i think every at least every senior class once every four years so there's like a period of 10 years or so or maybe eight years before i started there that um there was all like that many classes of people that had won a national championship so um you know it really stands out when you can say like yeah this 
we come here to win rings, you know, I, I think that speaks a lot to, to young swimmers who are motivated to go and be part of an environment where they can achieve beyond just themselves. Right. And that, that's honestly something that, um, you know, and honestly Auburn now is an extension of NC state with Gary, you know, coaching, coaching there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm curious about what is it that's in the, the culture that's been created. You can, you can see it from afar that there's this brotherhood and this camaraderie that, um, man, it's just, it's fun to watch. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like I, I feel like I lived in that culture, you know, was a part of it and, you know, a decade before. And so, um, and so it's fun to see what's tell me like, what's going on with that? Where does it come from? How do, how does, how does that dynamic get formed? Uh, well, so Braden swam at NC state he graduated early night or late nineties, sorry, early two thousands. Um, and, so he ha- like personally has so much invested into NC State. Um, so when he came back uh, to coach, we were at the bottom of the ACC, only beating like Miami because they only have divers and Boston College. So he had to make a huge cultural switch. Um, I think he, his first year at ACCs, he didn't even take a full roster didn't take 18 swimmers because um, he just needed to cut every like half the team because um, they weren't the right fit. And so when the culture switch was initially started, um, it was just completely Braden based. Like he decided that he needed to do this. Um, but since then it is absolutely swimmer driven. Um, Braden just kind of has to, he doesn't really need to be on top of us anymore. Um, the the captains and not even just the captains the entire team really once they step on campus they realize like there's not really any any messing around this is i'm here to swim fast i'm here to create memories that i'm gonna that you're are gonna stick with them for the rest of their lives and everybody just really really buys in um i think that's the biggest thing that um our swimmers do well is that when they come in they buy into the process full trust into the coaches um I think that's huge. And Braden is really, really good at creating that, that trust from the swimmers to the coaches. I was going to say, give me an example. Give me an example of, of is, it, is it a set that you can remember that, you know, the swimmer stepped up? Was it a, a meet? Was it a, um, at anything? Give me an example that you can think of that showed that. Um, oh, put me on the spot here. All right. Um, it must be a set. That that you know the, the captain said no to get no guys or a dry on bit. I mean, yeah. Um, let's see, let's see. Every year, uh, <laughs> we used to do this thing called a squat pyramid, where you'd squat, you'd hold a squat for five seconds, stand for five seconds, hold a squat for ten seconds, rest for five seconds, all the way up to like I think we got to a minute, and it just blasts your legs like it is just horrible and i remember my freshman year like there were some senior like they they did it every year um we did it for recruits because we wanted to show the recruits how tough we were <laughs> and kind of didn't work because half the, some of the men's team was crying but um, i think that just kind of proves like even though it's kind of like just dry land and it's kind of just for show like we really do put everything into to everything we do we put 100 percent in you know to the point where i can vividly remember i won't name him but there was one guy who every year he would cry every single time <laughs> don't worry we all had that one guy who cried <laughs> um, <laughs> oh tell it what was, it was what, me. <laughs> uh what's what's the hardest set you remember doing during your time at nc state i mean i know you're still there training but like what's during the college years what do you remember <clears throat> All right, back in my college days, let's see. Um, there were a few sets that Braden wrote that were just impossible. Um, I remember my freshman year, the women were dueling Duke on a Saturday, and we were the men's team was back training. We we had one of our assistant coaches who wasn't comfortable with changing the set, and Braden just wrote an impossible set. It was like backstroke tower stuff and. That was probably the most impossible one. The hardest one, um, 
probably we do a set every Christmas training, 4100s. All of them are like threshold or hard effort. Um, so like short course yards that he wants the guys holding like no matter what group you're in, a lot of the guys he wants like the top end guys want to hold like under 50 for swim and then kicking is all out with a board trying to hold just as fast as you can. Um, that set is just really, really mentally draining. <laughs> like on 140 or something? Like what pace thing? I think swim was on 130, kick was on two minutes. What and what was the when did you do that best? Like I was, I also asked like when did you? What was your most accomplished set? Like oh shit, I did that. I know I'm ready. What what was that set? Uh, <clears throat> prob we do another set we do during uh, Christmas training pyramid set. It's a total of twenty fifties. Um, we do like one fast, one easy, hundred pull, uh, one fast, one easy, one fast, one easy, all the way up to four, and then we switch to to long course or short course. We start long course, switch to short course. Um, that one I remember doing backstroke, and I remember my freshman year I was beating our top fifty backstroker at the time, and that's when I was like. Now that I, I can I can actually do something on this team. So that that's probably that one for me. You remember that, yeah. Yeah, I know uh I talked with Braden uh years ago and hearing his ways to, like you said, build the team, have the the swimmers motivate each other was was really, I think, eye opening at the time. And I know a lot of other coaches have implemented some of his strategies about having like themed workouts or hashtag workout type of things and having athletes like call each other out on times that they want each other to go and things like that. Um, is that something that was different for you when you got to school and did you find that motivating? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. When, when I got there, uh, there was a backstroker, Hennessy Stewart, and mm -hmm. he was the top 200 backstroker, top hundred backstroker on the team. And he he was a hard ass man. He was so tough on me. Um, I mean, which I'm thankful for. I probably wasn't always grateful for it at the time, but uh, yeah, he would call me out if I was going fast um, or going too slow. He would, you know, give me, give me some love. If I was going fast, he was always super supportive no matter what. Um, yeah. He was just a, a really good supportive leader. Um, even like kind of when, when we switched over and I kind of was, was getting faster than he was, he was always still so supportive, so positive, just uh, happy for me and happy for the team. So that was really, really cool. Yeah. There's, it's, um, it's an important step to uh, when you, when you cross that threshold of consistently beating somebody or at least competing with them. Um, I don't know. I just share the story. The, um, one of those sets for me, Luke, was actually my freshman year when uh, one of the guys, BJ Jones, who was like a helpful senior on the team who ended up being a, a NCAA finalist, but was uh, a local guy from Georgia too. And he had recruited me to, um, to swim at Auburn. And I remember that was the first time I was a tuner freestyler in high school and I ended up being a sprinter, but I remember holding uh, 23s on 2450s on a minute. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever, I used to do fifties like that on pace all the time in high school training for tuner free, but in high, in, in college, the first time that I was right there with BJ holding 2030s and like duking it out one-to-one, -one, you know, I'd, I'd catch him on some, not many, but I'd like edge him out on some of them. And that was, that was, that was set for me, even though it was early in my career, it was like, I, I hear you. There's always, there's always a moment where you go. Yeah. Um, maybe some, for some people it happens each year that it's sort of, okay, now I'm ready. Now I'm fit. Now I know, but that's, that's just the one that stands out for me. What about the set that was most interesting? So Brian, I remember seeing a set that you guys did Fred and Cesar and George and stuff. You guys used to base your rest on number of breaths. So you come to the wall and you're allowed two breaths, not time breaths. Mm -hmm. um, and then Daniel Carr talks about they're already working it underwater and making sure they're getting their 12 kicks underwater and working those kind of sets of move from these people. Mm -hmm. I mean, can, Coleman, what, what's a set where you really learned and you liked this set? They really worked on something different and they really improved. Was it, you know, like obviously Auburn was breath holding and controlling and recovering and bring it down, you know, cow guys, the underwater. So what about you? What was something that you're like, oh, that was really uh, improved me? Um, I think... It's not a specific set, but it's a type of set. Um, just hundred speed workouts. Um, whenever we 
I'm sure a lot of colleges are like this, but whenever we come in um, to a workout, Braden, like we know exactly what we're working on, whether it's like 200 speed, 100 speed, uh, bullshit aerobic or <laughs> something like mm -hmm. like that. Um, but the like 100 speed workouts, even from freshman year, that's when I really learned that I needed to have like a specific number of underwater kicks, a specific stroke count you know, even on, on backstroke, like that was kind of eye-opening to me. Um, and kind of piggybacking off that is every Thursday afternoon, we would have a group of us, a group of guys would go and we would have an underwater workout that was focused on, um, like freshman year was focused on getting really fast underwaters. And then it kind of transformed into my senior year. It was holding really fast underwaters throughout a 200. So like making sure that the first off the start, the underwaters are going to be just as fast as on that eighth turn. All right. Seventh turn. I, I don't know how you do that because I swam in the nineties and <laughs> in the nineties, you had Dennis Pankatov doing this on his underwaters. You had Mel Stewart going 35 meters underwater for his hundred fly. It was like, those are oddities. Like, oh, that's, that's a fad. So I don't know how to do underwater to this day. How do you do what you just said? Like, t tell me what I mean. And your underwater is quite not different. Is you, you definitely have a style of your underwater. I tell the guys earlier, you undulate from your, your, your fingertips to toes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and 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 not everybody does that. Some people believe in you know stiff upper body and this stuff from here, what have you. You run, um, for those who are listening, you run the fifth stroke camp where you literally focus on teaching what is in swimming now called the fifth stroke how do you make me a better underwater kicker? What is the one or two things that you can, like you need to focus on? Like, how do you get to be a good underwater kicker? I know it sounds a silly, dumb question, but there must be something, right? Is it like, there's a lot of help. Lose 30 years. No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the first thing that I like when I run the camps, Sorry. Hey. Uh-uh. No, it's okay. <laughs> He's starting to growl. <laughs> the show is, it's our first dog on the show. It's real good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right. No, no, not no, all good. Bob um, Platt had these massive black dogs on. <laughs> huge. Remember those guys? It was awesome. This is there you go. All right, let's talk doggy paddle. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> All right. So yeah, the first thing that when I'm running these camps is uh, starting the kick with a chest. Um, I think a lot of people like it's called a dolphin kick, obviously, but it's really a, like you said, it's a full body undulation. Um, it kind of starts in the chest, hips follow, and then your feet move the most. Um, I liken it to whipping like a just cracking a whip where this is the beginning of the whip and then your feet are the end. So just like that. Um, and <clears throat> like you said, I use my upper body as well. Um, this it, it's definitely a personal preference. Not everybody likes that. Not everybody teaches that, but for me, I think it takes a little stress off the legs and I'm able to use my core and my back muscles a little bit more rather than just focusing on hips, legs, calves. I think it kind of helps me, keep that underwater strength throughout the, you know, a 200 back when I swam the 200. <laughs> so those, no, those no. are probably the two biggest things. Got it. Yeah. Like you said, there, there's differing opinion. I mean, the, the current research really does suggest more of like a, a sternum down motion, but obviously yourself, Caleb, a lot of other great underwater swimmers are having much more undulation. So was your style something that, you know, you were taught technically, you think, or this is just kind of what you figured out when you were younger? Uh, I think it's definitely what I figured out when I was younger. Um, I, my, my strength coach tells me all the time, just my hips are ultra flexible. And I hmm. think that's kind of what gives me a little bit of an edge when it comes to undulating in the chest where I, I can, I'm not as tight in the hips. So mm -hmm. I think it's kind of, I was again, blessed with the genetics of being a swimmer, specifically an underwater swimmer. 
but that's rare right john for a swimmer to have not tight hips i mean that's that's extremely rare not to have a, a imbalance of the strength of the legs and the hips right yeah i mean definitely in swimmers usually i mean most of the kicking is quad dominant so quads get pretty tight the long hip flexors and create some tightness in the hips so um how did the strength coach what type of things do you do where he's like oh that's how you're flexible in the hips is it like with a backward bend or with squat depth and stuff the lombardo no it, <laughs> it was it was squats um yeah. he my my freshman year he was there all four years he's uh actually head strength coach for the seattle crack and the new nhl nhl team he just got that job so hmm. um but he when I first came in, man, he was making fun of me just because I was so skinny. I was so weak and I couldn't do a squat to save my life. I was like alternating between front squat, back squat, and just nothing was working for me. But he and the strength coach we have now both worked so hard to get me like just stronger and kind of almost tighten up my hips a little bit where I can get the strength rather than just the flexibility. Do you ever think about, we've talked to a few guests about this, and I remember Michael Klim sort of pioneered um, a changing muscle groups for the last 10 meters or so of 100 freestyle by going dolphin kick and a straight arm freestyle. And now you have guys like Nathan and Zach Apple who are doing a straight arm freestyle without the dolphin kick. Change muscle groups is, is you know, the um, what, what they're after. And I'm curious, do you ever think about uh, your technique underwater toward the end of a race and perhaps going to sort of a different muscle group at all? Or have you ever thought about it? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Braden, not necessarily thinking about going to a different muscle group, but the technique, definitely. Braden uh, really drills into us just rate and range of our kicks. Um, the rate, he always wants us to be between 0.45 to 0.55 per kick. And the range as big, as, like almost as big as possible within that range. Um, or rate, sorry. And especially the last like 15 meters or the last wall of a short course, 100 butterfly, 100 backstroke. Um, he emphasizes the rate over the range. So if you need to make your kick smaller, just try to get your rate to stay the same. Um, and that's definitely something I think about or try to think about at least on the last, last wall of a, of a race. And what are some strategies you guys use for, you know, getting in that rate or getting that rate, you know, locked in? Is it with tempo trainers? Is it with underwater video analysis or, you know, post-race stuff? What tools and techniques have you used and found helpful? Um, a little bit of uh, both of those. We, we use yeah. tempo trainers. We use um, underwater tech, like underwater cameras, stuff like that. Um a lot of it is just Braden kind of came up with a, a thing called kicking progression um, kind of ties in with that uh, underwater work, the underwater like session training session that we did, but uh, we do it twice a week. Um, it's, we do some with, uh, we do some kicking with socks, drag socks that try to slow, slow your rate and make your range smaller, but you gotta try to fight that. Um, we do some stuff with uh, maybe it's against the tower, like a power tower or on a, a rack. Um, really just anything to kind of add resistance to make it harder to kick, but just try to keep that that rate and range the same. How do you find that your power kicking compares to um, the end result of your kicking? I mean, I, and I say that meaning that, you know, some people are really good pullers. Some people are really good kickers ultimately that may be indicative of who the fastest swimmer is but not always i remember we had some guys who were really good at power rack but when it came to the actual swimming it wasn't exactly the same order so like were you were, are you good on the power rack with kicking as especially as it compares to your peers um yeah i think i'm i'm my power output is a little bit higher uh not a huge amount higher just because I'm, like I said, I'm kind of skinny. I think it's mainly the technique that puts me over the edge rather than the, the power output. But I would say my, my power is slightly above those around me. 
How do you work on your oxygen? Um, do you cover your nose with your lips? Do you uh, just let a little air out? Do you, what do you do? Yep, I do. Yeah. yeah. First my lips. Yeah. And, and, and do you take this one big, cover big gulps before the last, the third fifty, the third turn, I should say, of the hundred? I mean, describe how you, you do your breathing before you go and nail down that third turn. Okay. Um, I think we do so much breath control where I like, I don't even think about holding, like, I, I don't have to think about holding my breath, um, on the last wall. Uh, I think like my, my air isn't the problem when it comes to that last turn. It's a lot more of, of holding the rate and the range the same on all 10 kicks that I take to get to 15. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not an oxygen problem. It's, it's just my legs are dying problem. <laughs> you see, yeah, that was see, John, that's what I was wondering. Maybe question to you, John, I was bringing up power and oxygen and see if there's correlation, like, you know, if, if there's so much CO2 in your system at that point, how does that affect the actual power output of the muscles? And what can you do with anything to help that at all to maintain the same power or strength on that last turn versus the first thing that's coming? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with this training and acclimation and making sure that you are getting oxygen and rest. Obviously, we see from a lot of great swimmers, if you get oxygen throughout the race, even at the end, you can still, you know, get to 15 meters, you can still get that breath in. And as we're seeing underwater progress more and more, more trainings being put in, we're getting faster to 15 meters, less time is required underwater. Um, obviously different factors will accumulate throughout the race, ranging from hydrogen ions to, um, lactate to, like you said, um, different oxygen or, you know, hemodynamics and things like that in the blood. So I think just training acclimation and, and more importantly, with a lot of people just staying relaxed as these factors start to rise and not letting mm -hmm. the body tighten up or overstress. Yeah. So it just feeds into it even more. Yeah. But one thing I want to get back to on a much lighter note is there a name for that face underwater? Is it underwater duck face or something like I'm that? I'm so jealous of whoever does this thing. Is there a term for it, though? I'm so jealous. My daughter can do it, but I'm like, where did you get that from? Your daughter is doing duck face. you like 10 or 9 I have or the biggest nose in the world. How come I can't do it? I don't get it. <laughs> Not resting, bitch face. <laughs> We need to I've never heard anyone call it anything. It's like, oh, what do you do with your face? Oh, like, let's call it a name. Like, <laughs> is there a name? The, the pucker. I don't know. <laughs> Not to be confused with it, it's just the, the, no. <laughs> Right? Has anyone heard it called something? All right. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, going with underwater, I'd like to transition maybe into above water because obviously you have great short course speed. We've seen it at NCs. You've won NCs. We saw it at the ISL. Um, but obviously Olympic trials is hopefully going to happen and coming up. So as we're transitioning more and more towards long course, what are some things you're working on above the water? The biggest thing that I'm working on and I've been working on it for the last like three years now is just strength. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the top guys, especially the backstrokers, when you look at Grievers, Murphy, Pebbly, Justin Ress, they have, you know, 20 pounds on me <laughs> at least. So I think just not trying to put on, not just trying to like smack on muscle, but just try to be able to hold more water. Um, and yeah, just try to get stronger, get working on my pole, my backstroke pole a lot. Um, also transitioning a little bit more towards butterfly long course. Um, I've been doing a lot of butterfly since I got back from the ISL. Um, so yeah, I think that is kind of tying into the hundred freestyle as well. Um, but yeah, just trying to focus on getting stronger. <laughs> How do you think about that balance? Cause as somebody who, you know, you're strength coach was telling you um, that making fun of you cause you're skinny coming in and, I don't know. I mean, we've talked to a range of people that <clears throat> uh, from, you know, we remember Duyo Draganya, who's, you know, Olympic silver medalist um, and one of actually didn't get under 19, was close. Um, NCAA champion himself being, you know, one of those guys who was really um, 
the strength to weight ratio was the most important thing. And he, he focused a lot on speed and, and quickness and swimming on top of the water. <clears throat> so um, you're right. There's, there's so many people now that are carrying a lot of strength, <clears throat> but you can get too strong. And I'm curious if you think about like, what's the right way for you to put on strength without losing that explosive power, without losing the flexibility in your hips and in your back that helps you be a propulsive underwater kicker. Um, are, is there anything that you're implementing in your training to, to, to do that? Or does that just become a problem once you start to get too yoked? <laughs> Uh, I don't think I will, that will ever become a problem for me. As <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think there's definitely like a, a trade-off of when I, if I do put on too much muscle, it will definitely start to hurt me. So I think right now I'm aiming to be at like 175 um, for trials. I think that'll be a good, you know, fighting weight, but. How tall are you? What do you say? How tall are you? uh six one or six foot sorry six foot and how much do you weigh now like 172 171 okay yeah that sounds like a reasonable range uh yeah. to put on but yeah i mean we're talking five pound increments is significant mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i mean when i first came in i think i was only like 155 160 to college mm-hmm. so definitely been slowly but surely putting on a little bit of muscle Huh. How do you think that, um, I know some people that are, it helps their butterfly to train a lot of butterfly. And then, you know, for me, now granted, I was only good at the 50, but, um, trained very little butterfly and, um, you know, mostly freestyle and backstroke and then could just race butterfly. So do you feel like, I mean, it it sounds like it's somewhat relatively new for you. Um, but have you always trained a fair amount of butterfly throughout, your college career or, you know, it sounds like the, the shift is happening more recently, but um, what do you think about adding that more to your program and how it may impact your racing and speed? So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit new freshman, sophomore year, kind of throughout every college year, I would only train it once or twice, probably twice a week. Um, and again, it was more focused on like endurance, not necessarily just power. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me. So, and then in 2018, I made the World University Games team for the 100 fly, 150 fly. Um, mm-hmm. And that was kind of like, I, I would definitely was not expecting that. So that summer leading up to 2019, um, Braden and I, we like we were obviously focused on butterfly a lot. I really like training butterfly long course. I definitely prefer it over backstroke long course. Um, so I, I like it. I think 2019 was the the summer where it started to shift towards long course butterfly. Um, but then for ISL, I'd switch back to backstroke and CAAs. I was like, you know, focused on a combination of both. Um, I, th- I think it's really good for me to kind of like switch it up. Um, it's never too monotonous for me where I like, if I don't want to do butterfly one day, I can just be like, I want to do backstroke. Um, I am definitely not one of those guys who can just pump out fifties butterfly on low rest. Uh, I need, I need my rest when, when I'm doing butterfly. I was just going to talk about trials because um, right now trials has backstroke on day two and then butterfly is like day six or something a few days later, uh, you're contending both of them. Uh, absolutely. So that's, you know, a number of swims each. Yeah, that that plays in your favor in my in my opinion doesn't it yeah absolutely um it, it's gonna be nice i kind of swim better when i have a few swims under my belt so i think having that 100 backstroke uh the fir- like first and then 100 free a few days after that and then 100 fly mm-hmm. um, and it worked out perfectly where i won't be overlapping any of the swims Great. if i make finals in in all three so I think it definitely lucked out and definitely plays into my favor. So with trials coming up, what are some goal times you're, you're shooting for? Um, I don't really, this is going to be kind of weird. Cause I know every, almost every successful person, you know, they say list your goals and look at them every single day. They only day. see it after they've done the goal time though. They all say, Oh, by the way, I had this on a piece of paper. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so they never say it beforehand. Phelps never said, I'm going to go one, though. No. Yeah, Caroline Burkle drew her goals. It was like a picture of it, right? Wasn't she the one? 
Yeah, yeah. but it was they, they told us after they did it. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I can tell you what I'm going to do tomorrow in workouts. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Those aren't goals. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, if you haven't thought about it, at least how do you want to swim it? Like Marco Cook said, he's going, he wants to come back in the 32-5 in 200 breaths, and he wants to, to get into medal in Olympics. And we understand where that's coming from. Have you thought about times, breakdowns, how you want to swim these races, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, we all um, know what it's going to take to make it, kind of, we think. But Yeah. Um, I I have I – don't, I don't set goals, really. Definitely, I, I don't really set time goals. I don't really – I, I, I used to, um, my junior year, I focused way too much. So like I, I won NCAAs my sophomore year and then junior year, I focused way too much solely on like, I'm going to win. There was no, like I, I would do, I was just so focused on the end goal of winning where I never really enjoyed the process. Um, and then when I lost, I took it horribly. Um, you know, I was not. I was not there mentally after the hundred backstroke for the rest of the meet. Um, mm -hmm. You know, right after the race, I just hopped out. You know, definitely was was a bad look. Um, you know, I think I learned a lot from that. Um, and so the next year, in my senior year, I focused solely on setting my like smaller goals each day in practice, um, rather than focusing on like, oh, if I don't go a 21 one here in this 50 backstroke then i'm not going to win it was like i'm going to go a 21 one here because i want to go a 21 one and you know that's just going to put me in the best place where i am right now um so i i've kind of kept that because i really really enjoyed swimming my senior year it was probably the most fun i've had um and i'm still having fun like i'm doing the same type of of goal setting where i'm not focusing on the end goal um I don't really have time goals. I know how I want to swim it. Like I want to be out, you know, a little bit behind everybody hit the turn and then beat them all up from 50 to 65 meters. Cause I think I'm, you know, one of the fastest swimmers right now from 50 to 65. And then it's just figuring out how to get from 65 to hundred. <laughs> so, um, that's kind of the goal of how I want to swim it. Um, but yeah, I think, the one goal that I, I definitely do know that I want to want to do is just make the national team. I haven't done that yet, so that's definitely one of the goals. Coleman, what are you working on to be able to control that mindset you just talked about, um, guys? I was thinking about this last night. Um, Cody Miller has a has a great story when when George spoke to him in the lunchroom at Rio and said, you know, Cody, just focus on why you got into the sports, why you love the sports, you know, why you why are you doing this in the first place? And Cody got on the blocks and. That's what he focused on. He focused on the love of the sports and why he was there. And he was able to block out the whole pressure of the Olympics and where he's at. Focus on that and we know what happened, right? But I was thinking about how did Cody do that? I mean, we all hear great advice. We see quotes on Instagram all the time. Like, oh, that means a lot. But when you're actually there, how how do you do that? That's really difficult to do. So, Coleman, are you doing stuff to, to help you just be there in the moment and be there for the true love of what you do? Are you working in that stuff for Braden or yourself? Yeah, I think um, I am super lucky where I have just found a place and a coach that works perfectly for me. Um, like, like we kind of we touched on it earlier. NC State is so focused on on being the best, but we're also so focused on just having fun and enjoying it. Um, surrounding, you know, I last year, my senior year. Uh, I had a great group of training partners in uh, Red Group, our middle distance group. And they just like, I, I never had to force that mentality of, you know, I'm, you know, I need to tell myself that I'm in this for fun. It was just so natural. Um, you know, I think with Corona, we were, our pro team was training by itself at a, some local club team away from the college team. Uh, it was definitely a little bit harder, um, but, you know, I, th I think Braden was a big help with that. He loves to have fun on deck. He's not one of those coaches that is going to throw something at you if you do something wrong. Like, he'll laugh at you if you do something wrong, which I think is huge for me. Um, so, yeah, I never really had to force it. I think I'm re really lucky with that aspect of just being able to 
be around people who also love the sport. Aren't you a sprinter? Yeah. Well, <laughs> freshman, well what are you doing in the mid-D group? <laughs> I trained in the middle distance group. But aren't you a sprinter? Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. You mentioned having fun. Obviously, ISL is trying to, I think, have fun or bring more fun and obviously more eyes to the sport. Um, do you feel like the ISL made progress with season two? And where do you see it moving on from there? I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> it was a long six weeks, though, man. That was it was a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. Um but it was it was so much fun being able to be surrounded by literally the best like it was what 360 or 320 of the best swimmers in the world all in one place that was amazing um definitely a, a huge learning experience for me i think honestly they just need to keep doing what they're doing i think uh, you know, a little more advertising maybe, but I think the production has been really, really good. Um, yeah, overall, it's been an, an enjoyable experience and, you know, hope season three is able to go off without a hitch. How did you get recruited? How did the champions recruit you? <laughs> uh, Jason texted me the night NCAAs got canceled. And- <laughs> 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 yeah, he was wasting no time. He he had texted Justin Ress asking for my number a few weeks ahead of that. But um, <laughs> but yeah, he reached out to me. Uh, you know, he waited until my eligibility was up, and then reached out to me the first chance he got. Um, so yeah, that was pretty much from then on. Like, I mean, they were the best American team last year. So you know, I think the the other American teams. Uh, I reached out to some of them and or all the American teams and they were all super nice, but I think Cali just kind of had everything that I wanted in a professional team. Some people chose their team because it fit their exam schedule, their class schedule. I think LA current only had meets on weekends. It fit their class schedule. We heard from some athletes. So, but you just went because you just thought there was a top U S team and that's why you chose them. Or cause Jason called you first and said, yo, we're going to win this year. Come on. I think it was a little bit of both. Also, yeah. just because it's it's Jason Lezak. I know. Gonna... He had the NCAA. He had the trophy. Did you take the medal? Oh, by the way, this medal. It <laughs> 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 happened to be here. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that the, the greatest relay swim of all time. Yeah, that was a yeah. big deal. <laughs> so you're a great short course swimmer. Obviously, ISL, at least up to now, has been all short course meters. How long do you see yourself being successful in this format? And I mean, can do you see yourself making a, a living off ISL alone? Uh, I I hope so. Uh, I'm definitely planning on swimming through 2024 at least. Um, I think my body. Talking to Braden and you know a, a few of our other, other coaches, I don't. I, I think my body is going to be physically at its peak in you know two or three years. So just trying to really hit like keep keep swimming through that if I'm able to um barring any you know huge physical horror so hopefully I can just keep keep swimming um through definitely 2024 and then see where it goes after that are you prone to injury you're not prone to injury I mean uh you know just a little injury and yeah had a hernia my sophomore year but other than that nothing nothing too major oh man all right, Coleman, we got some uh, rapid fire questions to end with for you. All right. What's the hardest race in swimming? 50 back skins. <laughs> You're the first one who said that. Well done. We asked Nathan Adrian. We asked We asked everybody. Well done. <laughs> Sorry, I'm excited. Olympic gold or Olympic gold or world record? Uh, world record. Are nose clips cheating? No. What is the home city of the Cali Condors? Uh, San Francisco. Yeah, you're our home team. We look forward to your <laughs> we are home fans right here. <laughs> you coming back home. We've been waiting for a home match, you know, the yeah. whole season. We have a parade waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someday. Maybe someday. 
Uh, well, maybe you already answered this. Would you rather race backstroke skins or butterfly skins? Butterfly. Who's the fastest underwater kicker of all time? David Burkoff. Maybe not the fastest, but like probably the best. Know, right? He was he was an innovator. Like that was crazy back then. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of respect in that one. Where do, where do you fall on the all time list? Uh top ten. Pro, yeah, top ten. I would say. Okay. Uh, what is it going to take to make the Olympic team and the hundred fly? Time wise. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know, I know second place, but <laughs> yeah, Dressel's going to go sub fifty. So sometime slower than that, I would. Say, I mean, like fifty. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Dressel plus. Should we set the new times as Dressel plus? <laughs> Dressel plus point two. Is that it? <laughs> I don't know, man. He's had off years. He had an off year a few years ago. Um, are you worried about killing so many brain cells, spending so much time underwater? I don't have much flu, so a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. All right, man. <laughs> That's all we got for you, dude. Thanks. Thanks so much for hanging out. It was fun to get to know you. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. Yeah, um, right on. All right, well, that's it for this episode of the Social Kick Podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys later. Later. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you're enjoying Social Kick, tell your friends about it. And be sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at the Social Kick Podcast. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Social Kick. And you can find all of our content on our website at thesocialkick.com.